Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. The Song of Hiawatha by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow Part 18 The Death of Quasind. Far and wide among the nations spread the name and fame of Quasind. No man dared to strive with Quasind. No man could compete with Quasind. But the mischievous Pukwudgies, they the envious little people, they the fairies and the pygmies, plotted and conspired against him. If this hateful Quasind, said they, if this great outrageous fellow goes on thus a little longer, tearing everything he touches, rending everything to pieces, filling all the world with wonder, what becomes of the Pukwudgies? Who will care for the Pukwudgies? He will tread us down like mushrooms, drive us all into the water, give our bodies to be eaten by the wicked Neba Nobegs, by the spirits of the water. So the angry little people all conspired against the strong man, all conspired to murder Quasind. Yes, to rid the world of Quasind, the audacious, overbearing, heartless, haughty, dangerous Quasind. Now this wondrous strength of Quasind in his crown alone was seated. In his crown, too, was his weakness. There alone could he be wounded. Nowhere else could weapon pierce him. Nowhere else could weapon harm him. Even there the only weapon that could wound him, that could slay him, was the seed-cone of the pine-tree, was the blue-cone of the fir-tree. This was Quasin's fatal secret, known to no man among mortals. But the cunning little people, the Pukwudgies, knew the secret, knew the only way to kill him. So they gathered cones together, gathered seed-cones of the pine-tree, gathered blue-cones of the fir-tree, in the woods by Taquamenol, brought them to the river's margin, heaped them in great piles together, where the red rocks from the margin jutting overhang the river. There they lay in wait for Quasind, the malicious little people. T'was an afternoon in summer. Very hot and still the air was. Very smooth the gliding river. Motionless the sleeping shadows. Insects glistened in the sunshine. Insects skated on the water filled the drowsy air with buzzing, with a far resounding war-cry. Down the river came the strong man, in his birch canoe came Quasind, floating slowly down the current of the sluggish Taquamenol, very languid with the weather, very sleepy with the silence. From the overhanging branches, from the tassels of the birch-trees, soft the spirit of sleep descended. By his airy host surrounded, his invisible attendants, came the spirit of sleep, Nepahuen. Like a burnished Dushkornishi, like a dragonfly he hovered o'er the drowsy head of Quasind. To his ear there came a murmur, as of waves upon a seashore, as of far-off tumbling waters, as of winds among the pine-trees. And he felt upon his forehead blows of little airy war-clubs, wielded by the slumbrous legions of the spirit of sleep, Nepahuen, as of someone breathing on him. At the first blow of their war-clubs fell a drowsiness on Quasind. At the second blow they smote him, motionless his paddle rested. At the third, before his vision reeled the landscape into darkness, very sound asleep was Quasind. So he floated down the river, like a blind man seated upright, floated down the Taquamenol, underneath the trembling birch-trees, underneath the wooded headlands, 
underneath the war encampment of the Pygmies, the Pukwudgies. There they stood, all armed and waiting, hurled the pine cones down upon him, struck him on his brawny shoulders, on his crown defenseless struck him. Death to Quasimd! was the sudden war cry of the little people, and he sideways swayed and tumbled, sideways fell into the river, plunged beneath the sluggish water headlong as an otter plunges, and the birch canoe abandoned drifted empty down the river, bottom upward swerved and drifted. Nothing more was seen of Quasand. But the memory of the strong man lingered long among the people, and whenever through the forest raged and roared the wintry tempest, and the branches, tossed and troubled, creaked and groaned and split asunder. Quasind, cried they, that is Quasind. He is gathering in his firewood. The Song of Hiawatha by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow Part 19 The Ghosts Never stoops the soaring vulture on his quarry in the desert, on the sick or wounded bison. But another vulture, watching from his high aerial lookout, sees the downward plunge and follows. And a third pursues the second, coming from the invisible ether, first a speck and then a vulture, till the air is dark with pinions. So disasters come not singly but as if they watched and waited, scanning one another's motions. When the first descends, the others follow, follow, gathering flockwise round their victim, sick and wounded. First a shadow, then a sorrow, till the air is dark with anguish. Now o'er all the dreary Northland, mighty Peboan the winter, Breathing on the lakes and rivers into stone had changed their waters. From his hair he shook the snowflakes, till the plains were strewn with whiteness. One uninterrupted level, as if stooping, the Creator with his hand had smoothed them over. Through the forest, wide and wailing, roamed the hunter on his snowshoes. In the village worked the women, pounded maize, or dressed the deerskin and the young men played together on the ice the noisy ball-play, on the plain the dance of snowshoes. One dark evening after sundown, in her wigwam laughing water sat with old Nokomis, waiting for the steps of Hiawatha homeward from the hunt returning. On their faces gleamed the firelight, painting them with streaks of crimson. In the eyes of old Nokomis glimmered like the watery moonlight in the eyes of laughing water, glistened like the sun in water. And behind them crouched their shadows in the corners of the wigwam, and the smoke in wreaths above them climbed and crowded through the smoke flue. Then the curtain of the doorway from without was slowly lifted. Brighter glowed the fire a moment, and a moment swerved the smoke wreath, as two women entered softly, past the doorway uninvited, without word of salutation, without sign of recognition, sat down in the farthest corner, crouching low among the shadows. From their aspect and their garments, strangers seemed they in the village. Very pale and haggard were they, as they sat there sad and silent, trembling, cowering with the shadows. Was it the wind above the smoke flew, muttering down into the wigwam, 
Was it the owl, the coco-coho, hooting from the dismal forest? Sure, a voice said in the silence, These are corpses clad in garments. These are ghosts that come to haunt you, from the kingdom of Ponema, from the land of the hereafter. Homeward now came Hiawatha from his hunting in the forest, with the snow upon his tresses and the red deer on his shoulders. At the feet of laughing water down he threw his lifeless burden. Nobler, handsomer, she thought him, than when first he came to woo her. First threw down the deer before her, as a token of his wishes, as a promise of the future. Then he turned and saw the strangers, cowering, crouching with the shadows, said within himself, Who are they? What strange guests has Minnehaha? But he questioned not the strangers, only spake to bid them welcome to his lodge, his food, his fireside. When the evening meal was ready, and the deer had been divided, both the pallid guests, the strangers, springing from among the shadows, seized upon the choicest portions, seized the white fat of the roebuck, set apart for laughing water, for the wife of Hiawatha. Without asking, without thanking, eagerly devoured the morsels, flitted back among the shadows in the corner of the wigwam. Not a word spake Hiawatha, not a motion made Nokomis, not a gesture laughing water, not a change came o'er their features. Only Minnehaha softly whispered, saying, They are famished. Let them do what best delights them. Let them eat, for they are famished. Many a daylight dawned and darkened. Many a night shook off the daylight, as the pine shakes off the snowflakes from the midnight of its branches. Day by day the guests unmoving sat there silent in the wigwam. But by night, in storm or starlight, forth they went into the forest, bringing firewood to the wigwam, bringing pine cones for the burning, always sad and always silent. And whenever Hiawatha came from fishing or from hunting, when the evening meal was ready and the food had been divided, Gliding from their darksome corner came the pallid guests, the strangers, seized upon the choicest portions set aside for laughing water, and without rebuke or question flitted back among the shadows. Never once had Hiawatha by a word or look reproved them. Never once had old Nokomis made a gesture of impatience. Never once had laughing water shown resentment at the outrage. All had they endured in silence, that the rights of guest and stranger, that the virtue of free giving by a look might not be lessened, by a word might not be broken. Once at midnight Hiawatha, ever wakeful, ever watchful, in the wigwam dimly lighted by the brands that still were burning, by the glimmering flickering firelight heard a sighing, oft repeated, heard a sobbing as of sorrow. From his couch rose Hiawatha, from his shaggy hides of bison, pushed aside the deerskin curtain, saw the pallid guests, the shadows, sitting upright on their couches, weeping in the silent midnight. And he said, O guests, why is it that your hearts are so afflicted, that you sob so in the midnight? Has perchance the old Nokomis? Has my wife, my Minnehaha, wronged or grieved you by unkindness? failed in hospitable duties, 
Then the shadows ceased from weeping, ceased from sobbing and lamenting, and they said with gentle voices, We are ghosts of the departed, souls of those who once were with you. From the realms of Chibiabos, hither have we come to try you. Hither have we come to warn you. Cries of grief and lamentation reach us in the blessed islands. Cries of anguish from the living, calling back their friends departed. Sadden us with useless sorrow. Therefore have we come to try you. No one knows us. No one heeds us. We are but a burden to you. And we see that the departed have no place among the living. Think of this, O Hiawatha. Speak of it to all the people, that henceforward and forever they no more with lamentations sadden the souls of the departed in the islands of the blessed. Do not lay such heavy burdens in the graves of those you bury, not such weight of furs and wampum, not such weight of pots and kettles, for the spirits faint beneath them. Only give them food to carry, only give them fire to light them. Four days is the spirit's journey to the land of ghosts and shadows, four its lonely night encampments, four times must their fire be lighted. Therefore, when the dead are buried, let a fire, as night approaches, four times on the grave be kindled, that the soul upon its journey may not lack the cheerful firelight, may not grope about in darkness. Farewell, noble Hiawatha. We have put you to the trial, to the proof have put your patience, by the insult of our presence, by the outrage of our actions. We have found you great and noble. Fail not in the greater trial, faint not in the harder struggle. When they ceased, a sudden darkness fell and filled the silent wigwam. Hiawatha heard a rustle as of garments trailing by him, heard the curtain of the doorway lifted by a hand he saw not, felt the cold breath of the night air, for a moment saw the starlight, but he saw the ghosts no longer saw no more the wandering spirits from the kingdom of Ponema, from the land of the hereafter. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>